Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. A few months ago, I was looking into my backyard and it became something that I had realized that it had become something like what you might describe as a, a dust bowl. Uh, there was no more grass. It had died long ago and the tumbleweeds were rolling around back there like it was an old, bad Western movie of some kind. And uh, I realized something had to be done. I, something had to be done because I found my, my young daughter, baby Bo, uh, laying in the dirt making what I think she was calling something of dust angels. So I did what every good dad should do. I went to Bunnings. I bought the lawn solutions, the, 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 the seeds, and I said a little prayer, but the only thing that came was, was more weeds. Then my, my hippie of a neighbor came around with his homespun wisdom, and he began to talk about things like talking gently to the baby grass seeds, <laughs> nurturing it with organic fertilizers and so forth. Still, nothing happened. And I began to realize I needed a greater authority, someone that could really help me, someone I could trust. So I called a professional. I called a landscaper friend of my name, Andrew, who was ready to start a, a new beginning with fresh turf. This was quite exciting. Andrew came over and he asked me a question. He goes, uh, Ryan, what kind of grass do you want? I said, yes. He said, well, no, what kind of grass do you want? I said, green. Seeing the need of further explanation, I continued, I said, listen, I grew up around Canada where we live in igloos. The sun comes out three times a year and the sight of grass is like seeing a unicorn, it's rare. I only know about three kinds of grass, Andrew. There's green, there's brown, and there's dirt. I'm aiming for green, can you help me? Andrew agreed, he did, and about a month later, we were standing looking at the beautiful new grass under our feet, it was fantastic. And Andrew said something I think is worth remembering. He said, Ryan, if we want this grass to stay healthy, it's not enough to just plant and ignore it. We have to consider what we're feeding it. And so this morning, I'm asking this question for us to think about in our own lives. What are you feeding your mind. Today we're continuing our Only Jesus series where we've been going back to the basics, exploring our need to put Christ central to all parts of our lives as we pursue his kingdom, his breakthroughs, and his promises. And I'm taking us deeper, looking at the power of a mind that has lived in submission to Christ. And submission here in this sense is not mindless, it's not naive, it's not blind. A submitted mind is simply a belief in the goodness and authority of Jesus over our lives that begins to shape the way we think, perceive, and make daily choices. And it's a battle. The Apostle Paul sees it as a challenge and yet encourages 
his readers in 2 Corinthians 2.10 to take every thought captive to Christ. As in, don't let our thoughts be shaped by peers, by gossip, by fear, by social media. Let our thoughts be shaped by the truth of God's presence in our life. Now, we might have all kinds of thoughts running through our mind, but we're choosing to not let these thoughts lead our lives. Jesus and only Jesus can lead our thoughts through the dust bowls that swirl in our minds to take what is brown and dead and bring new life. This is the power of a submitted mind. One of the greatest gifts of God's presence that we each have access to is the mind of Christ. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the mind of Christ. When we submit our mind to Christ, we are choosing to access and align our thinking from a kingdom perspective. And maybe you have had this experience where you've been praying about a situation or, or something you're going through, and suddenly you begin to access a new perspective. One where there's new hope, there's joy and peace, that the presence of God begins to manifest itself in these ways that bring new life. It takes us from a place where in our own minds we might have seen just a young boy with a few fish, but his mind enables us to see and understand the power of God's provision that can feed the masses. Our mind might see a stingy tax collector, but his mind, the mind of Christ, enables us to see a brother only a few steps from generous freedom. Our mind might see a woman at a well who has failed at everything in life, in marriage, in friendships, an outcast, a reject, but his mind enables us to see a woman who could bring her whole town to hear and encounter the good news of God's kingdom. And there are times in our life where we're waiting for breakthrough, we're facing a battle, we're facing a giant, and the presence of God invites us to access a new kingdom perspective. The psalmist describes it as his thoughts being higher than mine. We need a higher thinking pattern, access to higher thoughts, ones that can get us out of our position that we're in, that feels like there's a blockage in our life. Somebody say perspective. Perspective. You know, when King Saul is in a battle, And he sees Goliath, he sees a giant too big to hit, but David sees a target too big to miss. Perspective. I need to access a new perspective. God's presence offers us this access, this kingdom perspective, but each day it's a battle because there's such a wide variety in our lives of what we're choosing to influence our minds. Romans 12, 2 then says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are you feeding your mind? How many of us know that Jesus constantly invited opportunity for people to rethink their lives in light of a kingdom perspective? In Mark 1, 15, Jesus announces this good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, that through me, this anticipated moment of God bringing transformation and breakthrough into the world has begun. And the word here, repent, literally translates as change your mind. Let your mind realign with the good news of God's kingdom. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and and help me out. Say, change your mind, change your life. 
Change your mind, change your life. This is the invitation. A few years ago, I saw a homeless man holding a sign and it said something like, keep your money, I want real change. And I think a lot of people want change. They wanna see breakthrough in their lives. And we live in a time where we think, you know, it's gonna be possibly easy because we have so much access to information and and inspiring podcasts and, and daily quotes, but rarely do we experience the breakthrough where it's needed most. Let's be real, we see all sorts of addiction in our culture, don't we? We see all sorts of mindless activity that I believe people are using for mental escapes from a reality many feel powerless to change. And I think that's why the tagline for Alpha is so, so real and so good and, and, and many people connect with it. It says, there must be more to life than this because I need a breakthrough. I need change. There must be more. The Hebrew idea of the word mind could, could, means more than just thinking. It included our, our moral and mental life, and it could easily be translated something of, of soul, spirit, or heart. And there's many ways you can explore this as a topic, but I think of submission of mind in terms of aligning our thoughts with God, choosing to align our thoughts with God. As in letting his word shape our thoughts on life of why we're here, where we're going, and consequently how to live as a follower of him, as, as, a, as a citizen, as a friend, as a worker. Jesus says, this time has come. It's invitation. Rethink your life. Realign with my reality. Are you looking for breakthrough? Are you looking for real change? Only Jesus can do this. Change your mind. Change your life. And maybe we're thinking something like, okay, well, what, what does that mean for my life? Where do I begin? And we're not the first to ask that question. In fact, there's a lawyer that meets up with Jesus, and he's asking something of the same nature. You find the passage in Luke chapter 10, verses 25, kicking off. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, eternal life here is is a hot topic among that time, amongst the rabbis, and it wasn't just about the future. It meant something like, how can I start living towards God's plan in my life? What must I do? Jesus responds in verse 26, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gets an A+. As a student uh, of the rabbis of that time, he gets it right. He's quoting the Hebrew prayer of the Shema based on Deuteronomy 6 of loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, mind, all that you are, all of your life, and let that love flow into the lives around you. And Jesus gives him the A. Plus. He goes, Great, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Well, perhaps the lawyer was excited for a moment, but then something begins to happen. He's intelligent, and he's self-aware, and he recognizes something that begins to make him uncomfortable, that there is a gap between what the law is saying and the life that he is living, between the intention and execution. Jesus had made it clear it's more than a matter of just knowing the A-plus answer. It needs to be lived, experienced. But this fully devoted love of God sounded hard, maybe even impossible. And so he thinks to himself, 
And it says in verse 29, looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Hmm. I wonder if at any point this lawyer would have considered that his own life reflected a bigger human problem. You have a history. You can tell your neighbor, you have a history. Or don't. Because <laughs> it's embarrassing and it's hard at times too. We all have a history. This is a human problem. If we're honest, we know that we haven't lived up to our own ambitions, let alone God's plans for our life. In fact, the entire Old Testament, there was never a moment where people were living to the fullness that God had in his mind for our lives. Each new chapter, a law was given. It seems the next chapter is being broken. It was like a, a bad New Year's resolutions list. Don't eat this fruit. Oops. Don't make idols. Oops. It just happened. Don't forget to love God. Oops. And so this lawyer is asking a human question. What must I do? Because I have a history that seems to be getting in the way of my destiny. Let me tell you something I hope you already know, and I, I really do hope you know it, that God has a plan for our life despite our history, that he is the one that qualifies us. And maybe life has dealt you a bad hand, or maybe you've been the one dealing that bad hand, but you have a destiny. That's what we need to keep telling our neighbor. You have a destiny. Jesus didn't water down the truth, didn't lower the bar, didn't say, well, I'm just gonna tell you to try to be the best person you can be and see how that goes. He told the lawyer, do this and live. And in upholding the law, Jesus offers a twist of grace that no mere teacher could ever offer. He says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Can you hear it? Jesus makes a way for us to live up to our destiny. What must I do is answered by the message that Jesus had come announcing, to come follow me, the good news of God's kingdom. For those seeking breakthrough, he's declaring in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come, I am the means to your destination. Follow me. Jesus had made himself the center point of history, paving a way forward for us to have a new way to think and live, a submitted mind to him that brought new life. Mark 1, 15, again, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. This is the language of invitation to a new alignment, an access to a new perspective. The time has come where God is stepping into history to make a new way for destiny. Repent, literally meaning to change your mind into places we need breakthrough. How can we change our mind into alignment with his kingdom? And it was a message that amazed the crowd, it said in the scripture, because it came with power and authority. In John 20, we hear echoes of kind of the new grass being laid, a new beginning, a fresh start, 
Or we hear the echoes of Genesis where God is first breathing into Adam. But here in this place, Jesus is breathing on his disciples saying, receive my spirit. And for the disciples, it was like breathing new life, eternal life. And lives began to be healed. The lame were beginning to walk. Minds restored. People set free. For people once powerless, people like this lawyer wondering, what must I do? In my place, I need a breakthrough. In the place, I need real change. Jesus invites, follow me. Change your mind. Change your life. Align your thoughts to my kingdom. Access my ways. It means choosing to live in agreement with this kingdom, and it takes practice. It's been described as a battle. There's daily internal and external pressures to let our minds and therefore our lives be shaped by things other than God. Externally, we have our social demands, our work pressures, our family expectations, and they're all fine things that we live with, but they're lousy dictators. Internally, we have our own self-talk, our mental conversations, our thoughts and belief, and mixed into all this, Jesus warns us that there is an enemy named Satan who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy us. There is a battle in our minds that can easily leave us feeling confused, distracted, believing lives that leave us powerless for change. And it's why Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians 10:5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into a structure of life shaped by Christ. This is the power of a submitted mind. In my own confession to you, I have to tell you that there are mornings I wake up and I'm not thinking that everything's you know, all sunshine and, and rainbows. I, too, get overwhelmed by all the expectations or I worry about failure. I'm unsure how to prioritize my day at times. I could be thinking a hundred thoughts and it really is a battle. And maybe you know what that's like. But the key to moving forward has always been the same. A choice to access his thoughts, his mind, his heart. In my own quiet times of prayer and reading his word, taking every thought captive to his heart and mind, a mind that has to get to God's truth, that every loose thought and emotion can be shaped by the presence of Jesus. And if you ask my wife back, she'll tell you that my alarm goes off very early in the morning and I'll lumber with a Bible and coffee in hand because I know it's going to be a battle. And I need to access his thoughts to get his perspective. What are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your mind? I want to offer three strategies on how to move forward. The first is this. One, get out of the dirt. Get out of the dirt by knowing truth. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of the prodigal son who runs off to distant lands, squanders his future inheritance that he's, he's taken. He's squandering everything. It says, soon the son is so poor, 
He's taking jobs, feeding the pigs. So hungry, he's thinking about eating the pig slop itself. He's sitting in the dirt, thinking about his life until he remembered truth. Jesus said, he came to his senses. Why am I sitting here in the dirt? Truth. I don't belong with the pigs. I shouldn't be sitting here. I got to go. I got to get out of here. I have a father. I have a home. I have a place where I am loved. I changed my mind. And he's off running to the father's embrace. Along the way, he's thinking of all the excuse of why he got to that place. He's thinking all the way, what am I going to say to my dad? And before I can even sputter any words, the father is out embracing him, clothing him, giving him the grace, giving him a new perspective. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And without truth, the enemy will have us believing lies that keeps our mind in the dirt, that you don't belong here, lie. You're just a spectator in this place, lie. You have a name a son, a daughter of God. You'll hear other lies. You're only as good as your Instagram account. Lie, you don't have value. Lie, you are what people say you are. Lie, your life is going nowhere. Lie, what are we feeding our minds? And if we believe these lies, we'll live according to them. Ephesians 5.14 therefore says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Get out of the dirt. And Christ will shine on you, change your mind, change your life. Well, how do we do this? The first is this, know the truth. We need more than a revival of feelings towards God. We need a revival of our knowledge of God. We need to choose to access this truth in our life. Hosea 4, 6 reads, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We won't know the truth won't come to our senses, won't recognize when our minds are set to pig mode until we're downloading and accessing our thoughts from God's truth. We'll just keep eating all the slop that life throws our way, swayed from this way to the next until one day we wake up to come to our senses and we say, that's enough. The way I'm thinking isn't lining up with what God is saying over my life. I change my mind. I change my mind for a changed life. It takes us to the second point, our second response to realign our thinking patterns. You can put yourself in a mental prison if you wake up every morning telling yourself a lie. That if you wake up telling yourself that your relationship has no hope and cannot possibly change, you cannot then come into agreement with a God who wants to speak life into your relationship. You'll just see everything through that fallen lens and that broken belief, and you'll get stuck in the same patterns that brought you to that point in the first place. The way we think about ourselves, our spouse, our work, our family, shapes our opportunities for breakthrough. When we tell ourselves we're unloved, don't fit, can't experience joy or peace or stop an addiction, guess what? You probably won't. 
Instead of thinking negative statements on how we deserve a better pay packet, a better boss, or a better relationship, choose to think positively. Think from a kingdom perspective. Access his thoughts. Ask the Lord, God, help me change my attitude. Show me how to speak words, speak words that bring life into my relationships. Thank you for your provision. Teach me to trust you where I think I need more. You begin to make change. You begin to live by a life that follows those truths. Now, Jesus came to break destructive thinking patterns as well. Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The second battleful strategy is this, don't compromise. This is about discipleship. You may remember the story of Genesis 25 where Jacob and Esau, uh, the story is told about these brothers that come together and it's a, it's a lesson in compromise. One day Esau, it says, comes home hungry. He's been out all day hunting, out in the, out in the wilderness doing his thing and he comes home so hungry, so hungry. And Jacob's been busy cooking up a pot of stew back at home, and he rocks in the door, and he smells that pot of stew. He's thinking, mm, that's good. Esau says, I'm starving. Give me some food. And Jacob responds in verse 31, first sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Now, this birthright was Esau's future inheritance. It was a blessing from the father that he would receive. So this is a bad trade. Jacob wanted the blessing. Esau wanted dinner. <laughs> and we laugh, we think it's funny, and, and we know you should never uh, agree to a trade like that. But he's flippant, Esau's flippant, he's impulsive with his future, and the deal was made because he was hungry for that moment. Esau compromised his entire future based on a temporary feeling of hunger. And it sounds ridiculous, but in the battlefield of our mind, people are still making choices that are compromising our future based on a temporary situation. I feel like this, I feel like this, I feel like this. And in that moment, you make a choice based on that impulsive feeling, and it compromises the plan that God has in mind. Don't compromise your thinking. Live by what you know, not what you feel. The reason we're called to love God with all of our mind is because feelings make great servants but terrible masters. You may not feel like going to counseling. You may not feel like speaking kindly to your coworker. You might not feel like doing what's right, but decisions need to be based on what we know, not what we feel. Feelings got Esau a bowl of soup. Thinking got Jacob an inheritance. As we start living by what we know about God, we begin to ask ourselves, are there places I'm trading my future for a bowl of stew? Don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation, a momentary feeling, because it might cost you something greater. Second response in this battlefield is this, live by Christ, not by culture. G.K. Chesterton, the 
famous author once wrote, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. For all the talk about freedom and our pursuit of it in our culture, there sure is a lot of pressure to conform and just float with the feelings of our time. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you going along with, with what everyone else is doing in our workplace and whatever, whatever it is for you? But that's not the case here at River Life. Joshua 24 says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in this place of River Life, we bend the knee to Christ alone. We submit our minds to Jesus, only Jesus, not culture around us. He is the one that sets the tone. We're choosing to access him. His thoughts. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This isn't something we just graduate from as a Christian. We don't just come to church, sit, plant, and not, not take care of ourselves. What are we feeding our mind? It's a daily submission, a daily choice, a daily access to the authority of Christ in our life. And the last strategy is this, in the battlefield, live towards the victory. You gotta have vision. You read Hebrews 12, one through three. It says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know what battles you might be going through, what's going on in your mind or what you're feeding it, but the invitation here is living towards the victory. It says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured. That's a vision statement. He had vision for life with us. The cross was temporary, the hope eternal. So don't grow weary, don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, only Jesus. As we live towards the victory. You know, I, I love the sport of, uh, and participating in boxing, but I found nothing hits harder than life itself. Where you are always a moment away from getting hit with bad news, of getting knocked down by a situation, and the enemy would love to keep us down. But unless we know the truth of God's greater vision over our life, we won't know how to respond when the hits come our way. We prepare for battle by knowing God's word, by daily choosing to access his voice, his thoughts, keeping our eyes on him. That's how we keep move, moving forward when we get knocked down. I don't know where you're at, but it's always the same response. And it's at the cross we remember that even in the face of death, there's still life yet ahead. There's something greater still coming.
something worth waiting for. We might be able to tell ourselves, I'm, I'm down today. I got hit today, but tomorrow's gonna be a new day. I'm walking with a limp for a moment, but I see days are running ahead still. My life isn't defined by this circumstance, but the destiny yet ahead, not my history, but God's vision for the victory. And maybe for us today, that might mean learning to accept some of the right kinds of losses in our life, where we've had destructive thinking patterns in our minds, that we've been feeding our minds the wrong sort of things. Each of us have this in our life, places we need realignment. We can play mind games with ourselves, saying, I don't need to change. That's just me. That's just who I am. That's authentic me. Have you ever considered that God might have a greater vision for an authentic you? And our realignment might come at a cost. And if you find yourself thinking, not yet, who's going to find out? It's not hurting anyone. I'll quit once I get what I need. Maybe it's time for a realignment. Accept the right losses because of a vision of a greater gain, a choice to access and submit our minds to Christ. Focus on the victory, that whatever happens, we can keep our eyes on him, Jesus, only Jesus. You cannot fail when the author of life is writing the story and you know how it ends. Second Corinthians, finishes with this in chapter 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though we are outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For in light and, and momentary troubles, they're achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, eternal. We have a history. We have a destiny. If we want to see breakthrough, Jesus invites us to follow him. Follow me. Change your mind, change your life. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.